Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience. This week on the podcast, we are joined by the Communications Director of DentAid, the dental charity, Jill Harding. And Julia, what a, what a great conversation. Yeah, I mean, who would think that a dental charity started 26 years ago providing dental services in a prison in Ukraine? And look where it is now. Yeah, and so here in the UK now, abroad, I can't believe how many initiatives they have, all the different things they're running. It was incredibly interesting to hear about all of that. And they're really changing lives with dentistry. So if you're interested in volunteering, if you're interested in Dentate the Dental Charity, sit back and have a listen. Here's Jill Harding. With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin. Hi, Jill. It's good to have you on the podcast today. Hi there. It's absolutely lovely to be here. Thank you. It seems that DentAid, the dental charity, are very lucky to have you as their communications uh, director. I'd be interested to know what this sort of role involves and what your working week's like. It's really varied. Uh, No two days are ever the same. Um, I think one of the joys of working for quite a small charity, um, although we've grown lots in recent years, we are still a relatively small organisation, is the variety and the amount of different projects that we get involved with. Um, So in a typical week, um, I am overseeing Dentate the Dental Charity's website, social media, our um, press and marketing strategy, all of the press releases and communications that are going out, Um, some longer term projects as well, things like our annual report. Um, We've recently gone through a rebrand exercise. But one of the lovely things is, is that my role very much involves going out on our mobile dental clinics, meeting our volunteers and our patients and being part of our clinics. Um, Sometimes that's in a very sort of hands-on practical way, taking medical histories, uh, helping our clinics run smoothly. Sometimes that's hosting corporate guests and fundraising events. Um, It's really varied and and that's what I love about it. And busy, presumably. I mean, that sounds sounds like like more than a week's work. (laughs) There's only two of us in our sort of marketing and communications team. Um, We've got 26 staff in total. Um, But I think that one of the nice things about people who work for charity is that they come with that mindset of being completely flexible, being able to do whatever needs to be done to deliver the care that day. Um, Just this week, for example, our charity is working. We've got clinics across the UK from Cornwall all the way to Dover um, and then from up in the north right down to Worthing and Brighton this week. So we're out there a lot we're delivering a lot of different things and a lot of different projects and there really is a lot of sort of variety um to what we do and everyone's role sort of goes to support that if we have to just deliver these mobile dental clinics and help the most vulnerable people to access dental care and whatever needs to happen to make that to make that happen to 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 achieve that everyone just kind of pulls together to make it work i think this is going to be an interesting episode Mm. josh yeah it sounds really energizing to work in that kind of environment with all these different people everyone's so committed to what they're doing it must be a nice place to work it is i think we very much made the decision after covid that we were going to bring everybody back into the office we work very collaboratively there is a lot of crossover between different people's roles and what we do 
is very labour intensive. You know, we are running seven mobile dental units and then we've got a static trailer as well. And we are taking them across the UK to deliver these mobile dental clinics um, for very vulnerable and hard to reach groups, not just people experiencing homelessness, but a large proportion of our clinics are for that group. Um, we are recruiting and onboarding volunteers. We're doing oral health education schemes. So we're very much sort of out there, busy on the road. It's a very sort of tangible charity um it's not mostly it's not sort of just providing information or um we're very much sort of in de the delivery of care um, and helping people to access dentistry and i think that that does create a certain sort of work ethic among our staff and a real sort of collaboration you know we have people who have to go on trips all the time you know across the country we tend to run uh, geographically clinics together so we had a team for example this week who were in Brighton on Monday and then in Worthing and then in Portsmouth and then coming back to our headquarters so people do work quite closely together and that really sort of fosters um, an atmosphere of collaboration and support and I think the fact that we're asking volunteers to give up their time to volunteer with us, we have to lead by example. So we have to be seen, we are really committed to it yeah. and really out delivering it. And then hopefully that sort of enthusiasm propels our volunteers to be want to be part of it. Because without our volunteers, we can't do anything. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to get onto the various different projects and the various different things um, that you guys are up to. Uh, but before we do that, you mentioned it's quite a, a small charity, but it's I think we'd say it's quite a well-established charity. It's been a, around for quite a while. So I was just wondering if you could give our listeners a little bit of history uh, to the charity before we get onto all the exciting things that you're doing at the moment. Absolutely. So Dentaid was actually founded back in 1996. Um, and like many UK charities had very small um, scale beginnings. Uh, what happened was there was a dentist who was refurbishing his surgery and he had unwanted dental equipment. And he came across a project in Ukraine in a prison and a prison governor wanted to provide dental care for prisoners um, but, and had a dentist willing to do it, a Ukrainian dentist, but they didn't have any equipment. So our founder, with the help of this uh, £10,000 grant, refurbished some equipment in his garage and it was driven across Europe on a lorry and it was installed in this prison in Ukraine and that was the very first Dente project. Um, and it very much started on the refurbishing and reconditioning dental surgeries that were shipped around the world. And, and back in the day, Dente used to send out about one a week. It was a huge wow. operation of re... I had no re idea yeah. about this. I mean, I... Yeah. Sorry, I knew some of the things that you did, but I didn't know the starting story. I mean, that's a lovely story, yeah, isn't it? that's what it was. It was very much about reconditioning uh, unwanted equipment and they used to get when people were upscaling their practices huge amounts of equipment donated and the premises then had to move to a large warehouse in Lanford, uh, which is in between Salisbury and Southampton. Um, and then that's really how it started. That worked pretty successfully, but then there are issues with delivering that sort of service, um, with the installation of equipment, with the upkeep. So for some projects, it was absolutely appropriate to send full surgeries. But for some of the dentists working in the more remote communities, they needed a portable solution. Um, so what our engineers did was develop a dente chair, which winds up 
um, and basically almost flat packs and fits into a wheelie bin. And we provide something called a dentate box, which is an entire dental surgery in a wheelie bin. So it's got a pressure cooker for sterilization. It's got all of the instruments, um, ART kits. It's got um, solar power and a pump and basically can be used to deliver outreach dental care in the most remote parts of the world. Um, so there are dentate boxes around the world now being used every day. We still send some of those out um, most recently to Uganda and South Africa um, and Cambodia. And it just means that people can do, our overseas partners can do sort of field dentistry um, in the poorest and most remote communities where there's no access to running water or electricity um, because a lot of the places where they work overseas they don't have running water or electricity. So it's very simple dentistry. So we provide these for our dental partners. Um, and really for the first 20 years, Dentaid was a overseas charity. And when I joined, uh, that was sort of accounted for about 95% of the work. The other thing that they did historically, sort of starting in about 20 12 um, was sending out teams of volunteer dental professionals to work alongside the overseas partners. We still do that um, after COVID. We've kind of scaled back the number of countries that we go to, but we do provide teams of dentists, dental nurses, therapists and hygienists to work alongside our dental partners overseas um, in Uganda and Cambodia and Morocco and Malawi so they can capacity build and upskill and share skills with our overseas partners. Um, and we those are running back up again very successfully now. So those are Dentaid's roots and origins on the overseas side. And then on the UK side, um, we really only did start working in the UK back in 2015. As what happens with many charities that work overseas, we received a call um, from somebody in, in Yorkshire saying, it's all very well, you providing dental equipment for people overseas and helping people in the developing world, but I've got toothache here, I can't access dentistry what do I do? Um, and about that time, we also heard from a soup kitchen in Dewsbury and they were cooking meals for um, hard to reach, uh, families sort of living in poverty, groups of people maybe on sort of zero hour contracts who their weekly income wasn't enough to feed their families for a week. So they ran this, it was called the Real Junk Food Project and they took donated food, cooked it and provided it for people who were hungry in the community. But the food was going to waste and they were saying, well, are we cooking the wrong food? Are we not, do you not like it? Are we flavouring? What's wrong? And they were saying, we've got such bad toothache, we can't chew it. We can't eat these free meals that you're providing because our dental pain is so severe. Um, and then a local dental practice in conjunction with Dentaid opened itself up on a Thursday evening to people in the community who needed urgent dental treatment but couldn't access it any other way. Um, it was supposed to be a three-month pilot. It ended up running for seven months, all volunteers giving up their time in the evening. And then the call started coming in about other parts of the country saying, it's all very well you're doing this in Dewsbury. And Dewsbury at that time was one of the very first areas really to be highlighted with the lack of access to dentistry and um, the sort of needs in the population weren't met by the capacity of, of what the NHS could provide locally. Um, but at that time, there were other parts of the country. And then we started hearing more about sort of hard to reach groups. And we were thinking, well, actually, if we're going to go around the country, what we need is a mobile dental unit. Um, and one came up at auction that was formerly run by um, Community Dental Services, I think, in Dorset. Um, so we got a grant um, and we bought this mobile dental unit. And then we we're like, 
what do we do with this now? <laughs> we it had the vehicle and it I'm snowballed sure. from there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a slow start, to be honest. Um, initially, it was run as a sort of domiciliary from kind-hearted dentists who wanted to kind of give back and um, volunteer in their own communities. Um, so we did a few projects on the South Coast and a few still in Yorkshire. And we had this one van and it drove up and down the M1 <laughs> um, and did these projects. We got a second mobile dental unit back in 2019 and that just let us do a little bit more, but still quite small scale. We're still predominantly working overseas. We maybe did two or three UK clinics a month at that point with each lorry. It wasn't that much. Um, and then we were just about to get CQC, we had to then, we were like, well, what we need to unlock the potential of this charity is our own CQC registration and to set ourselves up as a fully fledged dental I mean, this is quite, this is really quite relatively recent. I mean, mm. you're talking about 2019 when yeah. you had Second two lorry. Yeah. Um, trucks, lorries, whatever yeah. we're going to call them, mobile units. And now, fast forward four yeah. years, you've got seven. Yeah. And you're going all over the country. Yeah. The demand and the way the charity, we had to hunker down in COVID and we had to furlough staff and it was heartbreaking because there were, we were just on the cusp of new projects and we'd been to new places, some of them only once or twice and reaching new homeless and hard to reach communities. And the work had started on getting our CQC registration and we were growing our pool of volunteers and everything had to stop. And I think that gave us the mindset that when we came back from COVID back in the September of 2020, either we grow this or it's not going to work. And then simultaneously, the demand for what we did just skyrocketed. Yeah. The phone didn't stop ringing. We couldn't keep up because there'd been such a backlog because of COVID and that sort of thing. And within six months, both we had our CQC and both lorries were out every day. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to this story you know, I'm glad it's not TV because I've got my mouth wide open. I'm just agog <laughs> at what you're saying. And I'm thinking seven trucks, that's a huge amount of volunteers. That's a huge amount of materials trying to organise. I mean, that's like seven dental practices. This is this is sort of mini corporate dentistry, isn't yeah. it? So how how do you fund all of this i mean that's 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 a big thing i mean you might get some volunteers and some helpful people but actually you know how are you funding all of this the answer to that is lots of different streams of funding which is the best way so we had two further mobile dental units uh, donated to us by corporate supporters so Booper gave us one and my right. dentist gave us one so that was our third and fourth um, and then we had an ongoing fundraising initiative um, with lots of the Strauman bike ride um, Ken Finlayson from FMC uh, climbed Kilimanjaro for us and we had a large grant so we managed to purchase what was then the fifth mobile dental unit um, from scratch, zero miles on the clock, our first ever new lorry that's new to ours. Wow. Um, and then we've had, we've got a partnership with Septodont and they've purchased us a secondhand vehicle that we've converted into our next mobile dental unit. Uh, we've got a trailer, which is currently based in our car park in Totten that we use for clinics for head and neck cancer patients and looked after children, people who've got the option or the ability to 
be brought to us or to make their own way to where we are. And then we've just got our eighth one being refurbished and developed at the moment. So it's actually being wrapped and branded today. So uh, so that's the story of how we've sort of funded the, the units. The clinics are funded by myriad different sources. So some of it is trusts and grants fundraising. Some of it is we work with local councils, rough sleepers teams, and they fund us to deliver care for uh, people experiencing homelessness in their communities. Some of it is we work with partner charities. So larger organisations like Salvation Army or we work with Lantern Trust in Weymouth, for example. And because their support workers identify access to dentistry as something that can really hinder somebody's ability to move on to the next step through homelessness, um, they see that as a priority. So they fund us. We get we do fundraising events, but I mean, oh like, my goodness, like every yeah. charity. Yeah. I mean, it's clear that yeah. there are lots of different streams, but one could always need more. Uh, and so, actually, you know, we're going to say this, yeah. and and I think it's only yeah. fair. We it's a that's one of the reasons yeah. why we've got you on this podcast. Yeah. We we want you yes. to have more of awareness, yeah. and this whole rebranding Dentaid, the dental charity. Is, is a very key thing, fundraising as your charity. Absolutely. And, and yeah, the job is by no means done. The demand outstrips what we're able to provide all the time. We get sort of 30 calls a month from other charities and other organisations that support homeless and hard to reach communities. And we would love to go more places. Funding the clinics is really expensive. It costs a lot of money to do what we do I... because running the lorries, dentistry is expensive, vehicles yeah. are expensive. And it's... And everybody listening to this will really yes. appreciate it. That's why I oh, sort we would of be... slightly joked with yeah. you when I said, you know, I've got my mouth open <laughs> agog at this because actually this this is a lot of money that um, is needed. It is. And as we grow the fundraising demand and we never want to stop going where we're, we're going. So each place that we go, we're going to all of the existing places and then new places and then new places. You know, we need to fund these projects sustainably. Um, the homeless population kind of is quite transitory and moves around, but we need to offer consistency and st sustainability um, for our patients. Um, so yeah, fundraising, any support that people can give us just makes such a difference. And I think it's very tangible if somebody funds a clinic, which at the moment is £1,250, we have to fundraise for every clinic. We can tell you and show you who's benefited from that and the impact that that's had on their lives, whether that's their likelihood of success in drug and alcohol rehabilitation because they're no longer in dental pain, whether that's they feel more comfortable and they can look somebody in the eye and they can maybe move on to housing or job interviews even. We've had people who were desperate just to have their smile back again something that makes them just feel more confident so they can look somebody in the eye so they can really feel better about themselves um it's not just about alleviating toothache it's about so much more than that and it's the care that we give people as well um a lot of our patients have been very disengaged with dentistry or a bit mistrustful of healthcare and healthcare services um but we can, the way that we do it, we take a face-to-face -face medical history, we start that conversation. It might well be that the first time they come on the mobile dental unit, they just meet the dentist, maybe sit in the chair, just have a chat. It's like, well, it's okay, we'll be back in two weeks. Next time, let's just have a look. It's about that real caring approach and understanding all of the barriers that people face because there are so many barriers that hard-to-reach groups 
facing accessing care, whether that's practical or emotional or mental or physical barriers. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about dentistry yeah. here, but like you say, so these, these are groups of people that yeah. are not necessarily immediately at the top of the queue for all of those sorts of um Yeah. And even services. if there was a practice next door taking on new NHS patients, for some of the people that we treat, they still wouldn't access that. That might be that they don't have an NHS number or, or an address um, to register. It might be that they would feel really uncomfortable in the waiting room because they're rough sleeping and they might feel embarrassed waiting in a waiting room or they might not be able to keep appointment times because their lives are quite chaotic often um, or they may end up missing an appointment and then being removed from a list. There's so many reasons. They might have all their belongings with them and just not really feel comfortable with that. Who looks after all your items where you're getting all of those kind of challenges. Um, and if we go to them with the mobile dental units, firstly, we're somewhere where they feel safe and comfortable, but also their support workers are there so they can help engage. And that's critically important that we go to partner charities where support workers are and we work with them so they can encourage. I think we sometimes forget yeah. about that partnership with other charities, it's don't we? I, I think that's an interesting point that you've yeah. made during that. Yeah, it's not just a case I know that homelessness is a huge social issue, but it isn't just a case of arriving with the mobile dental unit, plugging it in somewhere and opening opening it up. We need that engagement uh, with a host charity, really, um, both for our volunteers and for the smooth running of our clinics, but also for the people that we're helping. So you mentioned a couple of different groups there. I know that um, the homeless population is, is a big part of that, but... Who else is is Dental Dental Charity working with? Is it just homeless patients? Is there other other groups that you're seeing? Um, it's really diversifying and again growing. And as we grow geographically, the range of people that we're helping is really changing as well. Um, so probably about sixty five percent of our UK clinics are for people experiencing homelessness, and then we do clinics for uh, refugees, asylum seekers, and evacuees, um, survivors of abuse. Uh, fishing communities, um, former service personnel who found it difficult to readjust after leaving the armed forces, um, head and neck cancer patients, uh, families living in poverty. Uh, we did some clinics for looked after children um, and also survivors of modern day slavery and human trafficking as well. Um, and then we sometimes go to settings that are particularly for people in recovery from drug and alcohol misuse as well. Um, and helping sort of overcome addiction and obviously dentistry can play a big part in that if the reason one of the reasons that they're finding it difficult to move through that journey is because they're masking toothache um, with drugs wow, and alcohol that's quite a, so it's quite, quite a range a people, yeah it's growing yeah. all the time yeah you mentioned before about the different barriers for all of these different people in terms of accessing dental care mm. um, how, so how have you identified these different communities these different people that need your help how do you go about it finding tends, and helping them. It tends to be that they're now coming to us because mm. the support workers at the host charities talk to each other and they say, you know, their heart sinks if somebody goes to them with toothache because there's so many things that they can help them with, but toothache is something that yeah. they can't and they know they're going to be spending the day on the phone ringing around every dental practice or trying to get an emergency appointment and nine times out of ten they can't. And if it's an emergency appointment, then they have to take them in a taxi to somewhere and or they're going to end up self-medicating or in A&E if it becomes that severe or unfortunately quite a lot 
try to extract their own teeth and then there's whole complications of that. So mm. the support workers all talk to each other and they tend to be, oh, Dentaid comes here, you need to yeah. get them in kind of thing. So that's how it's grown to a certain extent. Um, and geographically, that's certainly the case. You know, we used to go to Worthing and now we go to Worthing, Brighton, Eastbourne, two different places in Hastings, Horsham. So sort of geographically, it's spread like that. Um, it's really a triangle that we need. So first of all, we have to identify the project and the host organization and the need and what we're going to do and establish that. Um, is there somewhere that we can go? How are we going to deliver care for that particular population? And then the next side of the triangle is funding because we want to seek funding for at least six months of clinics initially so we can offer something that can have impact and be really sustainable. And then it's the volunteers. So who's going to help us to deliver this care in that area? Um, and once we've got those three things in place, we're quite fleet of foot and we can set up projects fairly quickly. Um, and off we go. Well, that sort of leads us perhaps naturally on to talking about perhaps how people can volunteer. You know, you've been we've talked a little bit about the funding element of things and the costs and the partnerships with other charities. But one of your sides of your triangle was about volunteering, wasn't it? So how can people, you know, people listening to this thinking, wow, I wonder whether I could do something like that if it mm. comes anywhere near me or anything like that. So perhaps tease out that little bit. Well, yeah, we would love to have more volunteers. Um, so people can volunteer via our website, dentaid.org. Um, and literally on the homepage, there's a button that they just click about UK volunteering opportunities. Um, in line with our CQC requirements, we have to onboard all of our volunteers. So there's a two-stage application process, a sort of initial form, um, and then we send out a more detailed link because we do have to initially uh, DBS everybody, get references and, and go through all of that sort of checks and and due process that anybody would. Um, and then once people are onboarded as a Dentaid volunteer, they can offer either dates that they're available or locations that they can go to. Um, we've got three colleagues who work in a sort of UK clinics team and they match up our volunteers' availability to the clinics. Um, we send out everybody all of the information that they need. Uh, and then on the day, there's a sort of team briefing and going through where everything is on the mobile dental unit and what we're doing that day. Um, so our volunteers... For each clinic that we run, we have four people, ideally a volunteer dentist, a volunteer dental nurse, and then an, a Dentaid-employed MDU officer who drives the lorry and sets everything up and makes sure everything runs smoothly. And then a Dentaid-employed clinical supervisor who takes medical histories but also oversees the clinical aspects of where everything is, making sure that the volunteers can access everything that they need, supporting with the IT if necessary or so, x-ray so and that a, sort of thing. obviously a process that takes a certain amount of time. Yeah. So let's just say for argument's sake, I've been approved. I, I've, I've, I've clicked on the website. I've done that. I've said, yes, I'd like to do it. Um, I've had all my tests uh, and, I, you know, you've, you've approved me and everything's fine. How much could I volunteer I mean, is it something that I could say to you, I could do one day a month, I could do, how far in advance are you organising things? Because I, I think one thing in dentistry that uh, my friends always laugh about is that, you know, everything is, I'm, I'm organised months in advance, but that's because I actually, 
my diary is months in advance, so it, mm. it feels like my whole life um, becomes months in <laughs> advance. So how can people do that sort of element of things? So we try to plan clinics at least sort of four to six months in advance. Um, you can volunteer as much as you like. And we are very, very fortunate that a lot of our volunteers are regulars. And obviously, once you've gone through the onboarding process, you yes, don't need to do that again. Um, and you just tell us when you're available and, and the areas. We, on a typical day, there's three or four clinics happening. So yesterday we had yeah, a clinic in Newquay in Cornwall, a clinic in Dover, and a clinic in Worthing. Um, we're all over the place all the time. It, across the UK so there's lots of different options um, gaps on there's a grid on the website which has got all the sort of live vacancies as it were for gaps where we've got people um, we need volunteers um, but then we also have an app called Volunteeru um, which sends out live vacancies people can apply via the app so regular volunteers get given access to this volunteer app which is making life a lot easier God. for my colleagues in the UK think there was a volunteer app <laughs> <There> out there <laughs> yeah I think and as we grow in the scale of it we needed to sort of invest in technology um, and we've sort of signed up for this app but I believe it is saving a huge amount of time and making my colleagues life a lot easier which has got to be a good thing that's good <laughs> we talked about the beginnings of Dentaid and uh, the equipment donations and international trips. Is that still something that you're interested in, in terms of equipment donations? Can people still go on international trips as well as the UK? Or is it more going to be UK-based in terms of how people can get involved now? We are still running the trips. Um, we have a few spaces left in the 2024 volunteering programme. So if people are interested, again, on the website, um, there's an overseas section on the website with all of the overseas trips. I believe there's a few spaces left next year for Cambodia and maybe a couple in Uganda as well. So uh, we definitely are still doing overseas volunteering trips. Um, we've paired it back to the four countries, uh, Uganda, Cambodia, Morocco and Malawi. Um, we go to Uganda three times a year, once to Cambodia, once to Malawi and twice to Morocco. Um, but yeah, no, it's still an important part. And we realise there is still an appetite for overseas volunteering, I think because they're working alongside local dentists that we're supporting all year round it feels like a nice icing on the cake for that partnership. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as long as there is still demand and people want to go and we're still welcomed um, and play and, and really supporting our overseas partners, just as long as that, that it's a, sort of got to be a two-way thing, mm -hmm. then, you know, we're still committed to doing that. Um, and we do still provide some equipment. In fact, just yesterday, my um, colleague told us we're providing a flat pack dental, dentate chair, one of the portable chairs for a project in Ghana, which is great news. So, um, it took longer to recover from COVID and I think a lot of the the noise and growth did happen on the UK side and we will be operating 500 UK clinics this year. So it's a huge wow. pull on volunteering, but actually a lot of people mm. can't volunteer and take two weeks off yeah. either. And also obviously they have to fundraise for their trips to go overseas and we know how difficult fundraising is for people. So they have to fundraise um well, it, it varies, but between sort of £1,700 and £2,950 for their trip, which covers everything. But obviously, that's a challenge for people and a real t investment in time, whereas they can go through the onboarding process and then volunteer in their local community on the mobile dental unit and still, you know, it's we make it 
a really rewarding day for people. We hope that people really enjoy it. Some people come as a team, dentist and dental nurse. Um, they're outside the practice, not got the pressures of the practice. They are meeting different patients that they yeah, would it's, never it's normally see. Isn't yeah, it? and therefore it one's energised by differences. Absolutely, and people that they may well know in the community there's a wonderful volunteer who um is a dentist for us in eastbourne and there's um there was a patient who she saw she said i used to buy the big issue from him and she said there's nothing wrong with doing that but anyone can buy the big issue but i can help him with toothache and i think that's the thing dental professionals are uniquely placed to be able to help nobody else can help them if they've got dental pain so and i think that that's actually really rewarding um, but we always need more volunteers as we grow. Um, and we really hope the industry sees Dente, the dental charity, as, as their charity. Like Dentistry is a wonderful profession and there's so many fantastic organisations working in it and we hope that they see us as their charity, somebody that they can volunteer with and helps their patients. We're in no way competing. We're just helping them to deliver care for people who really can't access. And I think there's a lot of politics and a lot of chat and a lot of that sort of thing. And actually we keep ourselves, we try very much to keep ourselves under the radar of that and just be out there mm. delivering care. We don't want to get drawn into difficult conversations about yes. funding and that sort of thing. We just want to be a charity delivering care, making a difference. I mean, I'm. you've really spoken beautifully and passionately about volunteering but there's going to be some people who are listening to this podcast for whatever reason are unable to volunteer, but would perhaps like to be creative with their fundraising or anything like that. So do you have any tips or help that you might be able to give people who might be thinking, well, hey, why don't we try and do something? Yeah, yeah, do? fundraising your practices. Yeah. Um, you know, we would give full support for any practices that wanted to do fundraising for us and um, providing resources, ideas, fundraising materials, that sort of thing, giving that a good shout out on our social media platforms and making people aware um, of the support. And we also have a fundraising events program. So we just had our golf day last Friday. There's a skydive. There's other sort of events and challenges that you would expect any charity to do that people can be part of. Um, also corporate organisations, um, it's really nice for team building. So an organisation, a Hague Dental just did a Yorkshire Three Peaks Challenge. They invited all their staff and their staff's family um, to come and be part of it. Um, and it was a lovely team building event, but they raised £10,000 for us as well, which is incredible. So um, we desperately need more funds. We desperately need to be able to continue the work we're doing and grow it in a sustainable way. We don't think that the situation is going to change soon and actually so many of our patients it really does make a difference I was in Hastings last week on a clinic and there was a patient who came up and he was like I don't need the lorry today he was like look look at my teeth he was like you guys are amazing he was like I never thought there'd be a day where I could smile like this and he was just beaming and we can't do that for everyone but the fact that we can really make that difference with people's lives and that it really can be sort of part of the jigsaw that helps somebody move on to a brighter future has got to be worth the industry getting behind us and celebrating it and being part of it, whether that's through fundraising or through volunteering or speaking about us or looking on the website and knowing more about it and feeling part of ownership. Like we would say we're the charity for your industry and we hope that you see that as a good thing and want to be part of it. Uh, I think many people will. 
You mentioned that story there. I'm sure there's lots of different examples of patients that's lives have been changed as a result of their interactions with the charity. Do you have any other examples of where patients have been helped, things that have changed? And do you, do you keep a track of patients and see the impact that the clinics have on their lives? Absolutely. So we do a lot of that through the support workers. Um, for an example, there was a patient in Broadstairs who'd had a real really difficult time with a range of, of really quite difficult situations she'd had to deal with um, and she had a severely chipped front tooth and she was hiding behind her hands um, and she was supported by this organisation and been found her own flat and was really wanting to move on um, and she had a job interview the following day um, and we do two-day clinics in Broadstairs so on the first day the dentist repaired her chipped tooth and she had the job interview the next day and she got the job and she just came bounding in just to tell us that you know she'd got it and she was going to be waitressing in this place in Broadstairs and she was really excited which was wonderful um for others it's people who they've got severe toothache you know they are at that point that they feel so desperate that they would attempt some DIY dentistry or they're it's really sort of bothering them we see lots of people who haven't been for sort of 20 or 30 years very Suspicious of dentistry, very scared, lots of phobia. Um, so it's part of that. Um, in terms of tracking people, we track, obviously we, we audit and we take details of all of the treatments that we do and all of the people that we see and a lot of, sort of social history and that sort of thing. We actually hope for individuals in time as they don't need us anymore and they don't need the support charities and they've moved on to that new chapter, that although they might keep in touch initially that we don't hear because we hope that they are now living a different life where they are more settled and more secure and that they've moved through that. Mm. That's, That's a good thing. doesn't happen for everyone. So it's that whole thing yeah. of no news is actually good news. <laughs> good news, yeah. it can be. Um, and yeah, actually I was chatting to uh, one of the support workers in Salvation Army in Eastbourne and he was saying, oh yeah, I bumped into somebody that you saw. Um, she's now working in a solicitor's office and she'd got a job, you know, we'd been going there for two years. I don't know at what point we'd seen her. He was like, oh yeah, we'd, we'd lost touch, but yeah, no, she's got a flat, she's working in a solicitor's office. And it, amazing. Yeah. So it's a bit anecdotal, um, mm. But it is lovely to hear those stories. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds as though Dentaid are doing huge amount of projects. I mean, really quite a huge range. But do you think there's sort of something that the charity would consider one of its greatest achievements? The way that we were able to grow and meet demand after COVID, like how quickly we managed to upscale and how we managed to seize opportunities, I think, that were given to us. I think that that's sort of overall one of the biggest things that there have been points in Dentate's past, like all charities, I expect, where you're like, have we got this right? Is this going to work? Is this affordable? Is this what, is this going to make a difference? There's definitely been points you know before I joined that the financial situation was difficult years ago or other challenges where you know small charities fighting for funding fighting for exposure and that sort of thing and I think we made the decision that no all in let's do it let's just seize every opportunity let's just respond to this um, and I think that sort of flexibility and gathering together of people who are so willing to make it work is our greatest achievement that's what I'd say. So the charity's obviously grown a lot. There's um, a lot going on within the charity. I'd be interested to know what the future holds. So what's the 
aims for the charity going forward? I think in the short term, it's going to be establishing more regional hubs. Um, so we're based on the South Coast in Southampton, which has been great uh, for our growth in that area. But we do know that we need to base our mobile dental units in different locations across the UK. So at the moment, we've got one mobile dental unit based in Belfast, and we've got a project there in association with Boopa Dental Care, providing um, dentistry for people experiencing homelessness across Northern Ireland. We've had one based in Halifax in Yorkshire that's delivered our clinics for people in Yorkshire and Lancashire and Merseyside. And then we've just established a regional hub in Kent, based in Maidstone, um, in collaboration with Septodont. Um, and we've got two members of staff there who will be delivering all of our clinics in Kent and a little bit into Essex as well. Um, so that's really exciting. But when you look at a map, there are still big gaps. There's loads more places that we need to be, particularly in the Midlands, um, sort of in sort of South Yorkshire way, uh, Warwickshire, north of London, there's, there's still big gaps and places that we need to go. So um, we'll be looking to kind of grow in those areas um, and then develop some of our other projects as well. So we do a project in association with Macmillan Cancer Support providing dentistry for head and neck cancer patients at University Hospital Southampton. Um, that project has run for two years. It's been a really successful pilot and provides dental care for head and neck cancer patients either pre, during or post radiotherapy treatment. Um, there's huge access issues in Southampton and um, we were approached by the hospital and they were saying, you know, we need our patients to be dentally fit. We only have certain capacity here. We need to be focusing on this. So it's about that. Or people who've actually undergone radiotherapy and finished their head and neck cancer treatment but are experiencing the effects of radiotherapy and the damage it's done to their teeth mm -hmm. a long term long time afterwards but they've taken a financial hit because they've not been able to work maybe while they've had cancer treatment and can't afford private dentistry and haven't been able to register for care so um them as well or people who are undergoing treatment and maybe you know a tooth breaks or something and they're in discomfort so we provide that service there uh, we're having conversations now about growing that across the uk um, and working with macmillan and, and sort of establishing where that project grows and how we can make sure that maybe not just had neck cancer patients as well but are able to access dentistry um, to impact on their just their well-being at that time but also it can be linked to their outcomes yeah um, as well so yeah Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It's been, it's been a real, real insight to the charity. Here. It's been great. Thank you. No, thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for asking me. If you've been inspired by that episode, did you know that the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre provide training for the whole dental team? Follow us on social media or search for the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre to find out more. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.